Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome back to Paddling the Blue. I appreciate you joining in today. Today I bring you the inspiring story of Tracy Lynn Martin. The Tracy is attempting to be the first person to circumnavigate all the Great Lakes in one year. And hers is an incredible story of courage and commitment, but that story does not come without controversy. So Tracy attempted this trip in 2017, and during that attempt, she ran into a few rough patches along the way, and people really gave her a hard time. Well, she's going back at it again in 2020, and I really think you're going to find that she's truly on a mission. Her journey is not just about paddling, it's about inspiring others to really live their lives and not miss out on an opportunity. We talked through some pretty tough things in the interview, and the interview really brings to light why she's doing this trip, what it means to her, how she's prepared, and what she's learned since her last attempt, and how she's approaching 2020's trip. So listen close. I really think you're going to be impressed with Tracy Lynn Martin's commitment. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. So Tracy, tell us a little bit about your personal paddling background. Well, I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, and um, my first experience for paddling uh, was a canoe trip that I took with a bunch of family and friends, and I was probably about 12 years old, and I just absolutely loved being out on the water and paddling my own canoe and just playing around out there. And my entire life, you know, we spent time at the Lake of the Ozarks. Being out on the water is sort of my safe place. It's where I love to be. If there's anything stressful going on in my life, that's where I had. At 18 years old, when other girls were out buying, you know, manicures, I was out buying my first canoe. I just would paddle all the different rivers here in Missouri, and I would try to get friends to go with me. And it was always um, sometimes hard to find people that liked to go out as much as I did. At uh, about 20 years of age, I took my first canoe trip up into the BWCA, the Boundary Waters, which lies in between Minnesota and Canada. And I've been up there multiple times since then. I've got married and had three wonderful children. When my daughter was about 10 years old, I took her up to the BWCA for a mother-daughter camping canoe trip. And then my two boys, I've taken them up a couple of times each too. So I've spent most of my life out on the water canoeing. I guess when I hit about 35, I bought my first kayak and started kayaking. Um, And I took my kids out on the water with me kayaking too. And um, it was just a wonderful experience to share that with them. And about... 2008, I signed up for my first kayak race. There's a kayaking group here in Kansas City called KC Kayakers, and I would go out with them on Tuesdays. It's a really social group. And then one day this guy showed up, and he was more uh, from the Kansas uh, state line, and he was talking about all these kayak races and going out and training. And so I was listening to him, and so I thought, okay. So I went out and trained with them a couple of times, and they used more surf skis, and it was more of a fast pace. It was like a really um, a training run and did that with them a few times, signed up for my first kayak race and actually took first place in women's solo. And so I sort of just caught the bug and I was just like, oh my God, I love this. And started upgrading my boats and upgrading my equipment. There's a race that 
goes across the state of Missouri called the Missouri 340. And it's 340 miles. It starts in Kansas City and finishes in a suburb of St. Louis. So it basically goes all the way across the state of Missouri on the Missouri River. 340 miles. I've taken first place in that race twice, once in 2011 and again in 2013. I've taken second place in it and third place in it. And I've paddled that race a total of nine times. And, you know, that's considered a really challenging race because it's considered the longest nonstop kayak race in the world. Um, there's races that are longer, but usually you have mandatory stops with this race to win. You start paddling and you don't stop. You don't stop to, to sleep. You don't stop to rest. You're in your boat and you're in your boat for the entire time it takes. When I took first place the second time, I did that race in 53 hours. And you're hallucinating there towards the end because you're not sleeping. You're eating in your boat. You're peeing in your boat. You're just racing. And there's a lot of other kayak races that I've done too. In 2015, my mother was diagnosed with uh, cancer. Uh, she had breast cancer, which had spread to her liver and her pancreas. And being a nurse, I'm a registered nurse and I work in a hospital. I knew that the chances of her coming back from that were not good. And so I spent a lot of time with my mom. And during that time, I just it, it really affected me and it made me realize how precious life is and how any moment your life can be taken away from you. And um, a few weeks before my mother died, she had a lot of regrets. She, she always wanted to learn how to swim and she never learned and she always wanted to play a piano. And she had actually bought this grand piano which sat in her living room for, oh my gosh, probably 12 years and she never learned how to play it. Right, you know, right before she passed away, she told me if there was anything in my life that I wanted to do to just do it and not wait because time is so precious. I know what she was referring to. She thought I, she was referring to me going back to college and getting my master's in nursing. But something I've always wanted to do was to be an adventurer and go out on adventures. And I would, um, when I was a little kid, I used to watch Jacques Cousteau. I used to think that was so amazing what he did and I always wanted to do that but I chose a different route when I was younger I got married and I had children and I tried to be a good mother but at this point in my life I also have rheumatoid arthritis I was diagnosed with that in 2010 and every year it just gets harder and harder to do the things that I love I used to do a lot of triathlons uh, 5k's and 10k's every year it just got harder and by you know eventually you, I can't run anymore now so I thought, you know, one day I might not be able to kayak. I might not be able to do the things that I love out on the water. So I decided to do something that had never been done before, which was to circumnavigate all five of the Great Lakes in less than one year. People have paddled the Great Lakes like one lake a year, but no one had ever done all five in less than a year. In fact, when I started talking about it, people would say, no, that's not even possible. I did some research and there was about a handful of people that have attempted it, but they always attempted it in either canoes or sea kayaks. And I preferred paddle in a surf ski. Uh, with my rheumatoid arthritis, it's really hard to get in and out of a sea kayak. And paddling a canoe on the Great Lakes just really isn't reasonable. So I chose my boat of choice was a surf ski. It took me two years of planning to put this trip together, this expedition. And in 2017, I went up to the Great Lakes. My goal was to try to do all five of the lakes. 
And um, in the process, I was trying to inspire people who live with rheumatoid arthritis um, and chronic pain to never give up on your dreams, never give up on what you love to do. Because when you have chronic pain, it's hard for someone who doesn't have pain to understand this, but when you have chronic pain, it's just like an ice pick just chipping away at you, and it never stops. And you can sit in your chair at home and hurt and feel sorry for yourself, or you can get up and, and push through the pain and go do the things in life that you love, and when you're actually doing what you love, then you don't, you're not so focused on that constant um, ice pick just chipping away at you. So um, that was sort of my message to people. I was actually, I didn't succeed. I made it all the way to Toronto. I um, was able to circumnavigate the three largest Great Lakes. And then I did the south shore of Lake Erie and walked my boat around Niagara Falls. That was really hard with my knees and my, my ankles with the RA. That was really hard. And then got onto Lake Ontario and made it to Toronto. And then the ice moved in and I had to stop. But I am the first person to circumnavigate the three largest lakes in North America. It was just wonderful. It was just a wonderful feeling to be able to do something that so many people had said wasn't possible. Well, congratulations and, on that uh, on, on that step so far. I mean, thank that's you. Uh, that's that's pretty great. <laughs> Um, So you had that much publicized first attempt at the goal, and and it raised quite Uh a bit of controversy. Uh, People said that you were, you know, people said you were unprepared and not safe Mm -hmm. and not heeding the warning signs, and they really beat you up pretty bad. So tell us about some of the challenges that you faced along the way, and then how do you how you learn from those? Um, Well, one of the one of the biggest challenges was getting the support of my family, actually, because they didn't want me to go out there and do that. Another challenge was trying to make people understand why I was using a surf ski instead of a sea kayak. Um, I know that I got a lot of a lot of people would text me because my phone number is out there. I posted my phone number over on my website and everywhere. So I would actually get text messages from people I didn't even know, and they were telling me I was using the wrong boat. But with my rheumatoid arthritis, it's really I practice self-rescue all the time, and I could, if I get flipped out of my surf ski, I can get back in that boat in less than a minute. But in a sea kayak, it's really challenging to bend my knees to be able to get into the sea kayak. So I knew being out on the Great Lakes, if I got flipped out of that boat, the chances of getting back into it was probably um, not good then people would say, well, you should learn how to roll. Well, again, with the rheumatoid arthritis, I think trying to learn how to roll with with RA might be a little bit challenging. So I really felt like that I picked the right boat for me. Um, Another challenge that I had was um, when I started paddling, the ice moved in. I'd never paddled in ice before, and I was out there by myself, but I took the chance and the risk, and I went out and started paddling in the ice, and... um, that didn't turn out too good. I had a lot of people, again, sending me text messages that I shouldn't be out there. I am, um, you know, I felt like that I had the right equipment. I felt like that I was safe. I went out one day and wasn't able to get back in. Where I went out at, the shore ice had been had moved out. And af- after paddling all day the, with the wind blowing, the shore ice moved back in and I wasn't able to get back to the shore. The Huron County Sheriff's Department had to come out with an airboat. Um, I was about a mile out, and the ice was so packed that it wouldn't allow me to come back in, and they had to come out 
and um, bring me back in, bring me and my boat back in. Okay. And so that was probably the lowest point of the entire expedition. Um, at that point, I went back home to Kansas City, and I had to reevaluate if what um, I was trying to do was worth it. If I need, if I should just not go back. I took uh, several weeks. The ice melted, and I started getting a lot of text messages from people saying that they believed in me. I made the decision to go back and to continue the expedition. That negative feedback that you were getting, how, how did that affect you? Oh, it was horrible. I had people who I thought were friends, um, who I personally knew, who was telling me that I was an amateur paddler, who was telling me that I was going to get myself killed, telling me that I was a bad mother for leaving my kids and going up there paddling, and that I didn't know what I was doing. And it was, it was just, it was really um, hurtful and just really heartbreaking that, um, and then, you know, the people that didn't know me, I could brush that off and I could tell myself, they don't know me, they don't know my background. It was the people that knew me that was the most crushing to my spirit because, you know, they knew that I was struggling with the RA. They, they knew that I was no longer able to do the triathlons. I was no longer able to run, which I love to do. This is a progressive disease, and one day um, I might not be able to paddle, and I wanted to be able to do something, one, to show people that um, RA doesn't have to take your life away, and two, to um, do it for me. I mean, that would be you know, my moment to be able to do an adventure that I not, might not be able to do once I hit 60 or 70. So tell me, how, how does RA affect your paddling? Well, um, RA is rheumatoid arthritis, and it's an autoimmune disease. It's basically your immune system is attacking the tissues in your body. And most people think of RA as arthritis because it attacks your joints, but it can also attack your heart and your lungs. So it's really a multi-system disease that you're trying to fight off. The, the worst thing about RA, one is fatigue, and two is the pain. So when I was first diagnosed, I actually started out with pain in my feet and ankles really, really bad. As a nurse and as a runner, I just thought it was just bad shoes. Um, And so for the first year in 2009, I was out buying um, about a new pair of shoes a month and nothing was helping. Um, I went to a chiropractor and was talking to him. I thought maybe it was my posture. I thought it was had something to do with my running and just being on my feet. Um, a year later, the pain started moving up into my hands and my wrists. As a nurse working in a hospital, we start IVs on patients, and we do something called spiking the IV bag, where you where you spike the bag and you run the line through. Um, I physically could not spike that IV bag. My my hands and my wrist hurt so bad that I was in so much pain, I couldn't push the spike up into the IV bag. And I went to my coworker, and I was like almost in tears, and I'm like, I can't spike this IV bag, and she thought I was joking. And when she realized I wasn't, she was like, you know, and I'd been telling people I'd been in pain for some time. She told me she thought I had a condition called fibromyalgia. I went to my doctor, and he um, asked me a bunch of questions. One of the questions was, "Do is is there a history of RA in your family? And my grandmother had RA. She lived with us her whole life. She was always in a wheelchair. All of my memories of her was always in pain in a wheelchair. Her hands and feet were really, really crippled badly. Um, So I just, I was devastated with this diagnosis because that's all that I knew. Um, My doctor actually put me on the appropriate medications 
and I started feeling a lot better. But RA is a progressive disease, and once the damage is done, there's really no, no fixing it. You can get joint replacements. I feel fortunate that the medication works really well for me, and you know the disease is still progressing, but not nearly as fast as it would without the medications. So my right wrist always hurts. It's in, it never stops hurting. It's just like a constant throb. Um, when I'm out kayaking with it, the pain is sort of like someone's taking an ice pick and just jabbing your wrist, just jab, 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 not, not stop, and it never stops. Some of the things I can do, though, you have to adapt, and that's one of the things I tell people is, okay, so you've got our right, now what are you going to do? Um, you have to adapt. So one of the things I do is I put some padding on my kayak paddle so my hand isn't wrapped around it so tightly, and that really helps a lot with the pain. Um, trying to be able to kayak um, correctly, that helps a lot. Um, using my back so far, I've been very lucky that the RA hasn't affected my back. So I make sure I try to use my back and try to protect my shoulders and my arms. Overall, you know, for the most part, you just have to, you just have to mentally say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this because for me, the water is my safe place and I love being out there. So if I was sitting at home, I would just focus on the pain, but being out on the water, I can focus on how much I love being outside, how much I love feeling the wind blowing against my face, feeling the water spray up on me. And I can sort of focus on other things and I'm not focusing on the pain anymore. So that pain is ever present, but so you're kind of saying you might as well be enjoying what you're doing while, while the pain is there. Right, absolutely. So what did you learn uh, at that first expedition, and how is this, what, how is this attempt different? Um, well, with the first expedition, I learned a lot about the Great Lakes. I had um, I spent a lot of time in the Boundary Waters, and driving up to the Boundary Waters, you go past Lake Su- Superior. So I spent um, some time paddling Lake Superior, but usually in, only in the summer and only on good calm days. What I learned was that the lakes... Um, can be very challenging to paddle on. It was a huge learning curve and one that I felt, I feel like that I was able to adapt to. I was able to um, figure out that, you know, there's certain times of the day that the wind's going to pick up and it's going to be worse than other times of the day. You're paddling in fog a lot. You're paddling on um, gray clouds, you know, the, the, in Missouri, it's sunny and it's bright, and you're out paddling in sunshine. And usually on the Great Lakes, um, the sun doesn't shine as much, especially up around Lake Superior. And it's raining on your lot, and you know you just adapt. I listen to people. People would come up to me and say, you know, in 15 minutes, the lake can go from calm to five and six foot waves. And I thought they were exaggerating. And then I was out there and it happened to me. You know, one minute the wind is just really calm and the next minute it starts blowing and it changes directions and the waves pick up. And within 15 minutes, um, I was paddling five foot waves and I had to get to the shore. So you just learn and you just adapt how you paddle. And that was probably the biggest thing that I learned. Um, How am I changing going back? So... I have a lot of friends along the shoreline now, and I've made a lot of connections with people around the Great Lakes area. I'm going to be spending more time paddling and camping and less time with the support truck and the support trailer. 
um, the other thing is I spent a lot of time trying to, um, I guess, I, I wanted to please everyone. I wanted to make everyone happy. So if people said, hey, you know, stay here. We want to meet you. I would stay there and I would meet people. And a couple of times, you know, people would say, hey, you know, will you come to my house? I want you to meet so-and-so. And I, you know, take time off of paddling to try to um, accommodate what, you know, try to accommodate people. I think this time I'm going to be spending more time focused on actually paddling. You know, I, I love the fact that people want to meet me, and I love the fact that people are willing to come down to the shoreline and meet me. But I think I'm going to start declining offers to drive like 45 minutes to, to meet people. Um, that's just not feasible with what I'm trying to do here. The other thing is that I'm starting my route a little bit differently. Instead of starting at Port Huron, I'm going to start on Lake Erie, which is further south. Um, the water is going to be warmer. I'm going to get the south shore of Erie done first and then go around and do the three larger lakes and then go back and do um, the north shore of Erie and Lake Ontario. The other thing I'm doing differently is that I'm going to have two boats instead of one boat because when you're paddling and the waves pick up, if, if the water is calm, you're, there's all of these rocks right by the surface. But when you're paddling in four and five foot waves, um, the waves can slam you down on these rocks and there's really, you just, you just have to deal with it. And so my boat was being damaged a lot and so I was off the water for one and two days patching my boat up. Uh, at one point I had to have my boat professionally repaired and then I was off the water for three days. So by having a backup boat, if my primary boat gets damaged, then I can paddle the backup boat and my support crew that's following me in the support truck, um, they can patch the primary boat instead of me trying to do everything on my own and trying to patch it myself. The other thing is I wasn't prepared for the amount of RA flares that hit me during my trip in 2017. With the medication that I'm on, my, my RA flares were pretty well controlled. With a flare, you know, you always have one body part or body parts are hurt, but when you have an RA flare, it's sort of like, bam, you know, you're down, you're not getting up, you hurt everywhere. It's like like everywhere. You hurt any, any joint hurts, your jaws, your back, your arms. It feels like someone has taken a baseball bat and just beat you, and it's just really hard to even get out of bed. It's hard to just move. And I had, my medication had kept those flares under pretty good control. I might have one or two flares like a year. Once I started paddling and all that physical physical activity, I was starting to have flares like every month. And it was just, I would wake up and it was just really hard to move. So I've talked to my rheumatologist and I'm going to be taking prednisone with me. It's a tablet. And the prednisone will help knock out the flares. So if I start to get a, a flare, I can take the prednisone. The other thing is I wasn't planning on getting sick. Um, I ended up with pneumonia twice during that trip. Again, I talked to my primary care physician, and I'm going to be taking a steroid inhaler with me. So if I start coughing, if I start feeling like I'm starting to get sick, I can start using the steroid inhaler to try to protect my lungs. So, and just the knowledge that I gained in 2017 and the confidence that I've gained, I'm really hoping that 2020 is going to be different. All right. So it sounds like your, your approach to the, the order in which you're paddling the lakes is different. Did I catch that right? Yes, it is okay. different. So not only are you starting in a different spot, but it sounds like so you mentioned you're doing the south shore of Lake Erie, and then you're just going to move to a different lake. So as opposed to doing a continuous path. Oh, no, no, no. You misunderstand. No. Oh, sorry. I am doing, no. 
2017, I never drove. I either paddled or I walked. And the same thing is for 2020. I will not do any type of driving whatsoever. I'm either going to be paddling or I'll be portage in my boat. Um, so in 2017, the only place I had to portage my boat was around Niagara Falls. It was a 13-mile walk in uh, 2017. In 2020, I'm going to start in somewhere around the Buffalo area, Dunkirk area on the south shore of Erie. I'm going to paddle the south shore up to Detroit. Right now, the entire area is free of ice. Everyone that I know that lives along Lake Erie has told me I probably should have started paddling in February because um, everything is free of ice. And right now, there's no ice coming down the St. Clair River or the Detroit River. So I'm going to paddle up the Detroit River as far as I can. If I start to encounter ice, I'm going to get out and portage. But otherwise, I'm going to paddle up the Detroit River, across Lake St. Clair, up the St. Clair River as far as I can until the current becomes too rough. Then I'll get out and portage back up to Port Huron, at which point the route will be the same as it was in 2017 with the only exception was in 2017 I paddled into Green Bay and I did all of Green Bay I'm going to island hop and from Washington Island on across a lot of people who have paddled just Lake Michigan they um, do not go into Green Bay but they island hop and in 2017 I wanted to do Green Bay but in 2020 I'm not planning on doing that but otherwise the entire route will be the same got it okay so then when I come back down I hit port here and I come back down um, the St. Clair River and the Detroit River then I do the North Shore of Erie and then Erie is done I walk my boat the 13 miles around Niagara Falls and then I just have Lake Ontario left to do Got it. Okay. All right. Now I'm following you here. So you, you talked about some of the people that gave you challenges, both people that you knew and people that you uh, you didn't know. Let's hear, let's hear about some of the good people you met along the way that, uh, that really supported you. And... There's just an amazing amount of just wonderful people that I met. Marv Kujal was a great example. I met him in Port Austin, and he offered to help me for a weekend. And he just kept coming back and um, he was just so amazing but you know there was people um, um, there was this lady named Pat and she called me up and she offered me a place to stay and she was so accommodating and just so warm there was another lady that I met she actually did like a um, like a ceremony over my boat and um, to uh, try to protect my boat I mean and then up in Canada I met um, a lady up in Canada who um, native she you know we sat by her fire and she talked to me uh, her name was Lois both people from the American side and from the Canadian side they were just so warm and so wonderful and accommodating and they would come out and they'd be like you know, I have RA and I can't imagine that you're doing this. They'd come out and say, I've got fibromyalgia and I think what you're doing is just so wonderful. I had one lady, she had her husband drive her almost 30 miles to come in and watch me as I walked around Niagara Falls and she had also had rheumatoid arthritis and I believe she had some other condition. She just said she just wanted to meet me. People like that, that's what pushed me through the pain. You know, there were days that I would wake up and I would think, I don't know if I can do this today. And I'd tell myself, I've got one more day left in me. 
Maybe I'll quit tomorrow, but I'm not going to quit today. So get my butt up, get out there, and, and just, even if it's just one mile, just get out there and just do one more mile because you're not going to quit today, but maybe you'll quit tomorrow. And then I'd get these people that would just, random strangers that would just text me on my phone and uh, send me Facebook messages, and they'd be like, you know, we support you. We think what you're doing is wonderful. That's what got me through it. You know, there's so much love out there, and I think sometimes the media just focuses on the negative, and um, there's just so many wonderful people out there, and um, I can't thank all of them enough, both on the Canadian side and on the U.S. side. Yeah, there's uh, there's uh, always a propensity to focus on the negative in a lot of cases, so it's nice to hear some of those some of those good things that kept you going. How did you prepare mentally and, and for someone living with RA physically for the trip? Well, you know, like I said, the medications had kept the RA under pretty good control. And I was, I'm a kayak racer. That's my background. So I just continued training like I would for a kayak race. I live 20 minutes from the Missouri River, which has a, it has a current of four miles an hour. I'd get on the Missouri River and paddle upstream against the current and I would paddle, you know, for three or four hours and then turn around and float back to my car. Um, I have a handful of lakes pretty close to my house and I do interval training, go out onto the lakes and do interval training. Um, sometimes I would um, go out to the lake with my boat and then I would swim across the lake and back and then get in the boat and do some interval training, some paddling. I can't run, but I still do a lot of swimming. Sometimes I'd get into my boat and I'd paddle like a 50-mile run down the Missouri River to Lexington, and then I'd have someone that would pick me up in the car and bring me back. So basically, I just kept doing the things that I was training with my kayak races. I also go to the gym and I lift weights. Um, I try to go about two times a week and lift weights, and then I also have an erg that I will sit on and use during the winter time. All right. So, uh, so tell me about some of the equipment that you use on the trip. You mentioned the surf ski. Uh, anything else specific that you you find is well, really helpful? Uh, a marine radio. Um, I started out with a marine radio, and it was one that I bought from a local store store here in Kansas City, and um, it didn't last that long in the snow and the ice. So then I ended up upgrading and buying better equipment. That would be the one thing I would tell people. If you're planning on doing a trip like this, try to get the best equipment that you can afford because that's really important. I ended up with a standard horizon marine radio, which was really wonderful. I started out the expedition with one cell phone. Part of the issue was that the cell phone um, lost power and I had no way of recharging it. So when I went back, after um, coming home and going back in 2017, I went back with two cell phones. So I had two iPhone 7s with me. My iPhone 7s were connected to my iPod or my iPad, and then my support driver had access to the iPad. So I had a Spot Global Tracker on me. I had the Marine Radio on me, which was a, a really good Marine Radio. I had two cell phones, and so they could they could track me either with my Spot or they could track me with the uh, cell phones. Um, the other equipment was, you know, I had like a really good tent, I had um, a good sleeping bag, just having um, people there with my support driver, Bill Noble, he was there and he followed me, shadowed me along the shoreline. I would try to camp as much as I could, but sometimes if I knew there was a storm coming in, I would always try to pull off and he would pick me up and uh, we had like a small trailer. Just having 
just having the the right equipment um i think you, i think that's just really important so other than equipment uh what advice would you give to someone who's who's planning an enormous undertaking maybe not quite to the scale of, of the trip that you're doing but right. what, what advice might you have well i mean like i said having the right gear and the best equipment that you can afford i think that's really important and uh, then taking your equipment and going out on several short trips um, ahead of time just to work out all the kinks to making sure that you know how everything works properly making sure you can um, you know if you need to practice with your with your radio being having the experience and the practice with that I think the other thing is planning and research planning for anything that could possibly go wrong and then figuring out okay if this goes wrong what am I going to do and if this goes wrong what am I going to do and just having a really good um, plan and I also feel like having a good team a support team whether that support team is your significant other at home or if it's you know like I had a person that was following me in a support truck there's I think just having that permission to be able to to go out there and to tackle something that not everyone's willing to go out and tackle and just having the people back home supporting you with that is really important. So you mentioned the, at the first trip, that was a challenge for you. So you've got that support level now. I do. Excellent. Um, yeah, I've got a team of people. Um, most of the people on my team are people that I met in 2017 who, you know, they said, what can we do to help? And I'd be like, well, um, can you help with this or help with that? I have one man who, uh, Vern Owen, he is helping me with the weather and he gives me daily weather updates. He texts me what daily weather updates I have people up around the Buffalo area that have scouted out the best route to walk around Niagara Falls. I have people um, around Michigan, uh, Lake Michigan. I have people around the South Shore of Lake Superior and also the Canadian side of Lake Superior, um, around the North Channel, Georgian Bay. I mean, there's just um, an amazing amount of people out there that's willing to help. So when, uh, so what's the distance on your, your trip? Um, it's calculated out to be 4,200 miles to get around all five of the Great Lakes. Okay. And uh, so when are you planning on starting? March 1st. March 1st. I'll be heading back up there March 1st. I'll be starting um, in Buffalo, and I'll be heading south uh, towards Cleveland and the Detroit area on the south shore of Erie. It's going to be a really spectacular adventure. I'm really looking forward to starting again. Oh, Absolutely. Um, so when do you, how long do you expect it to take? It's going to be 10 months. Okay. Yeah. In 2017, it was 10 months. I ended up stopping, uh, December the 15th. I'm hoping this year that I'm going to be able to, um, finish, um, about the same timeline. And you mentioned that you're going to spend kind of less time, you know, chasing those side projects and more time just focusing on the paddle itself. So that, that will certainly be a benefit for you. I was very appreciative of all the people that wanted to to meet me, but I, I don't think that a lot of people understood that when you're um, leaving the the lake and driving 45 minutes to to meet people and to spend time with people, and then trying to drive back, that really does take a lot out of your expedition. Certainly. So you mentioned the support network. If anybody's interested in providing support and being one of those uh, helpers along the way, how might they do that? 
Oh my gosh, so they can contact me through Just Around the Point. Point spelled P-O-I-N-T-E. So just around the point at gmail.com, they can send me a text. My phone number is 816-536-1384. Texting or emailing me be the best ways. If they just want to follow me, they can follow me through Facebook. Again, my public page is called Just Around the Point. This time around, I'm still going to have my spot, but I'm also going to have an inReach. Um, and so with the inReach, it, it gives like a really good detailed map of where I'm at all the time. That's going to go through a website called RaySal.com. People can go to RaySal and see exactly where I'm at. They can go to um, my Facebook page, Just Around the Point, click on the link for the inReach and see exactly where I'm at. I'm actually looking for anyone who would like to help be a support driver. Uh, Marv Kujel from Port Austin, he's actually planning on being my full-time support driver for the entire 10 months. It would be great if we had someone there working with him or helping. Even if you just wanted to help for a couple of days, if you wanted to help for a week, for a month, you know, someone who's retired, someone who just wants to go out on a grand adventure. So yeah, those things would be great. The other thing too is it's, it was really challenging in 2017 to find a place to park the truck and trailer at. Again, I, this is all self-funded. In 2017, I cashed out a significant amount of my retirement to pay for this trip. For 2020, I'm actually selling my house to pay for this trip. Because it's self-funded, I'm really trying to conserve how much money that I spend so trying to find places that we can park at without having to pay for like a campsite overnight would be really beneficial. So anyone that knows anyone, I know in 2017, someone um, knew like a veterinarian and we parked one night at a veterinarian clinic. Someone else would stay, park overnight in uh, parking lots like a hospital parking lot or a Walmart parking lot. Um, one person they knew someone that worked at a hotel and they let us stay overnight at the hotel parking lot. It's really beneficial to have some place that we can stay at. So you're, I mean, that's commitment. You're selling your house to fund the trip. Yes. Wow. That's, uh, like I said, that's committing. Well, you know, the thing is, I came so close. There were so many people that basically told me I wasn't going to be able to do it. When I first started the trip, they said I'd never make it to Mackinac. And then I made it to Mackinac and I got onto Lake Michigan and then I was getting messages. I mean, literally people would send me text messages and they'd say, you know, you shouldn't be out here doing this. You don't know what you're doing. And then I made it around Lake Michigan. And then some of the text messages stopped. But then I got onto Lake Huron and was made up made it up to Superior. Got around Superior. And so it just I got I made it so close. By the time I finished Lake Superior, no one was sending me text messages that I couldn't do it anymore. And I learned so much. When I first started the trip, to me, a big wave was being out in two-foot waves. Then after a couple months, it was three-foot waves. And then a couple months, it was four-foot waves. And then it was five-foot waves. And you learn and you adapt. And um, I, I really, really feel like with the knowledge that I know now going back that I can do this. So not to reopen old wounds, but uh, out of a 4,000-plus-mile trip for the 2017 trip, how close were you? How many miles were you short? 
Well, to have the Guinness World Record, I was short 220 miles. Ooh. I paddled I paddled 3,592 miles in 10 months, and I was 220 miles short of the world record for having the mo- most miles paddled in a surf ski uh, for one continuous trip in, in a year. Well, I certainly wish... Uh wish you the best and hopefully you'll you'll have an opportunity to beat that in uh, 2020 so thank you yeah well actually i'm not um my goal is to 2020 my goal was different in 2017 my focus was basically on on me and doing this adventure that i've always wanted to do 2020 it's about paddling for people who suffer with uh, chronic pain I've got two boats, and because I've got two boats, I no longer qualify for the Guinness World Record. With Guinness, the boat you start with is the boat you have to finish with. That's why I only had one boat in 2017. For 2020, I've got two boats. I started putting the names of people that have RA on my boat so that, you know, I'm paddling for them. I wanted them to know that they can do more than just exist. They can live. They can, you know, if you enjoy getting up and walking your dog, if you enjoy going outside and planting flowers, if you enjoy just going for a walk or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, uh, maybe you just enjoy cooking and, and you don't feel like you can do that because your hands hurt so bad. My, I, I wanted to inspire people to get up and to, to not suffer with chronic pain, but to get up and to still live and not just exist. So I started putting the names of people on my boat and it's been the response has been amazing. In fact, I had to finally stop stop it because I had too many names. But I had people with fibromyalgia, people with cancer. This one lady, she had um, her little boy has CRPS, which is a complex regional pain syndrome, and he's just a little boy, and he lives with pain throughout his whole body, day in and day out. And he's a member of a group called Ferocious Fighters, kids with. Uh, CRPS and they asked me to put their name on my boat I um, for 2020 I'm paddling for everyone and anyone that suffers with chronic pain or some type of chronic disability so that they know that it's so much of it is mental 80% of it is mental if you can get up and start moving it's so much easier to keep moving you just need that little push and I'm hoping that by putting all these people's names on my boat and them being able to watch me paddle along the shoreline that gives them that push so um, 2020 is about inspiring people you've inspired me and I know you'll certainly (laughs) inspire a lot of other people as well and uh, yeah maybe we'll get an opportunity to catch up when you're uh, when you're rolling through Chicago that would be fantastic. I would love that. Any sponsors that you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the the number one sponsor would be rpc3.com. They have sponsored me with my wing blade paddles. But more than that, the owners, Doug Johnson and Scott, they've been remarkable. And they were my sponsors in 2017 and 2020. And they've been so supportive. And I believe that... Um, Scott from RPC3 is planning on coming out and doing some paddling with me when I hit Georgian Bay. They are by far just amazing people. Stellar Kayaks, Dave Thomas from Stellar Kayaks USA, they've been a really wonderful and supportive sponsor. Um, Other sponsors are Riverside Kayak Connection, they've been really wonderful. Uh, Falcon Kayak Sells. Um, he's been very supportive, and any time that I feel like my boat needs to be repaired or damaged, 
or if my boat has been damaged any time that I need to be repaired, he said he will be there and he'll help he'll help my support team. Killarney Outfitters has been really um, really wonderful. Too Cool T-shirts and quilts. They're actually a sponsor. They made me an amazing quilt and they've been very supportive. And then the Old Vermilion Gel House. It's in a Vermilion and um, along Lake Erie. They've been a really wonderful sponsor too. But just not only just the businesses, but just the amount of people. Um, I cannot stress the um, the number of people that have come out and just brought me meals or just brought me like a cup of hot coffee or, or, or hot chocolate and um, or taken me out for dinner. It's just the people have just been wonderful. Well, that's what's going to make the difference for you is the, the connections that you make along the way. Uh, absolutely. It absolutely is. Well, Tracy, I've got one final question for you, and that is uh-huh. who else do you know uh, or who else do you think might be a fantastic guest for us to have on Paddling the Blue? Well, there's a... There's a person that I've heard a lot about. I've never met her, but I've heard so many wonderful things about her. Her name is Andrea Knepper, I think is how you pronounce yep. her last Andrea name. Andrea Knepper. Yeah, do you know her? I do. Okay. Well, she um, started this organization. It's a nonprofit called CAT, and it stands for Chicago Adventure Therapy. And I've heard so many amazing things about this. She takes uh, kids from the inner city, from Chicago. They might come from broken homes, and they might come from the foster care system, just at-risk kids. And she teaches them, takes them out kayaking, uh, takes them on some really cool trips. I've been, my understanding is she's taken them to the Apostle Islands, um, for example, but just some really um, great trips and teaches them how to kayak and, and sort of gives them some some hope that, you know, that the situation that they're in, you know, they can overcome that. And I think that is just um, a wonderful message and to be able to be supportive for kids like that. I would love to be able to do something like that in the Kansas City area. And I think if you had her on the podcast, I would definitely want to listen to that. Well, I will definitely make a connection with Andrea and, uh, and we'll get her on here as well. That would be great. Good. Tracy, it's been fascinating uh, talking to you, listening about uh, listening to your journey, uh, both the 2017 journey and then your upcoming 2020 journey. Um, I know that I wish you the best on that trip. And I know that many people are out there pulling for you. So you'll have a great time. We'll be watching all along the way. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.